listening to the podcast for Nerdy Christians, a show for progressive followers of Jesus who also happen to love Hogwarts, Hobbits, and debating tweets by J.K. Rowling. This is Season 1, Episode 8, Our Nerd Canons. I'm Carrie Combs, and I'm very happy to be sitting across the internet from Adam Thomas. Hey, Adam. Hey, Carrie. So just a minute ago, I turned off the Hey Siri feature on my iPhone so that it wouldn't interrupt me during the intro to our podcast, which it has done the last three episodes. It's amazing that it took us this long to figure out what was going on, but I'm glad we solved that problem. She's just trying to help. She's so, she tries, she does try, yes. But that's neither here nor there today. Uh, What are we talking about? Today we're going to be talking about our own personal nerd canons, those works of books, movies, video games, any other type of media that have followed us in our lives that we get really excited about and like to share with other people. And some of them we've talked a lot about on this podcast and others we haven't really touched on. So I'm Wait, so we're, I prepared the list of like my top five ballistic devices. That's not what we're doing today? No, nor are we talking about people in church leadership who sit at a cathedral. We're not talking about those type of canons either. So we're not talking about church leadership. We're not talking about uh, pirate ships and how they destroy each other. Um, but what we are talking about is Second Kings 23, 2 through 3, which is our scripture quote for today. Uh, the king, that's Josiah for you keeping score, went up to the house of the Lord and with him went all the people of Judah, all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests, the prophets, and all the people, both small and great. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. The king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord, keeping his commandments, his decrees, and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. All the people joined in the covenant. And our nerd quote for this episode is not one particular quote, but more of a thing that you might be familiar with if you play role-playing games, which is when someone does something particularly ridiculous in your group, or maybe coins a very odd phrase, everyone will shout, that's canon, because now it's part of your world forever. The concept of canon interacts with our lives as priests in one particular way and our lives as nerds in another way. So we have the canon of scripture, holy scripture, the Bible, uh, which, and canon means measuring stick, technically, literally. That's where the word comes from. Uh, So it's the. What's that? Ooh, you did. Oh, that's. I did not know. That did not come up in my seminary education. Really? Cool. So, so canon means measuring stick. So how is that being used in terms of the Bible? Yeah, so the word canon is Greek. It means to me- uh, measure. Uh, and so when we talk about the biblical canon, we're talking about the thing that you measure up to in order to be part of the Bible. When the Council of Nicaea in 325 was putting together the text of the New Testament, they were measuring them against each other to figure out which ones were going to be part of the canon of the New Testament. I love thinking about it like that because I think the way we view the Bible sometimes, I at least have all these beautiful Bibles that are bound and every page is the same size, every page is the same font. It looks very uniform. I think that's easy to forget that it's kind of like a little library of a bunch of different genres and time periods and authors 
all shoved together that it's not just one uniform book, but it's really been assembled with quite a lot of thought. And I'm guessing, knowing that council, uh, with a lot of argument. Definitely with a lot of argument. And we actually see that in a fragment that was found uh, centuries later called the Muratorian Fragment. Have you heard of that? No, I haven't. Uh, it was a fragment found by a guy in a library somewhere. It's like an Indiana Jones kind of thing. And it showed all of the books that were being considered for the New Testament. And then and a couple, and it's a fragment, so you don't see the whole thing, but there are a few little notes on it that say why a particular text was getting included. It's it's pretty cool. And so when we talk about the books being measured against each other, it's really interesting when we think about the way the different pieces talk to each other, because when we think about, say, Paul's letters, Paul was writing what became parts of the Bible, but Paul had no idea that that was going to happen. And so his letters have a real sense of authenticity to them because we know that he wasn't trying to write the Bible, which is why he, you know, asks for somebody to bring him his coat in one of the yes. letters. He says hi to all the, all the nice ladies who hosted him last time. <laughs> he, was, yeah, he wasn't setting out to write, write a thing. It was, it was particular to the context he was writing to, and that means that we need to be aware of that context when we're reading these things. Even though they're in our Bible, in our canon, um, they all have different ways of reaching us. The way that you describe the canon as a library is really, really great when we start, start talking about nerd canons because the Bible itself, the word Bible comes from the Greek biblia, which means book, which is where we get bibliography or you know, Spanish gets biblioteca, that kind of thing. Um, but it's, it's plural in Greek. It's ta biblia, which is the books. So the Bible has always been multiple things. We see it as a single book, but it's never been a single book. It's always been a library. And when you talked about all the different genres and different types of writing, different authors, it reminds me so much of the current Star Wars canon because of all the different types of media and all of the different authors that are putting things into one story. Mm. And all the heresies that are being squashed by taking out legends from the taking canon. Taking out the expanded universe, <laughs> the legends, there you go. And bringing back in little bits of legends that they really, uh, they really liked, like Grand Admiral Thrawn, but then recontextualizing him in the show Rebels and so forth. So yeah, the Star Wars canon, they actually use the term canon, which is a biblical term. Uh, they use it for the Star Wars canon. Uh, unironically, it's just the term that gets used. Well, and I think I've talked on this podcast before about how the first place I encountered canon in this way as a growing up Episcopalian and not having the best Bible education was through Harry Potter. What is and is not in the Harry Potter canon? It was easy when there was just the four or five, six, seven books being published. But as we amassed more information, those um, encyclopedia type of things like Quidditch Through the Ages and Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, the book, now later the movies trying to figure out what is and isn't in. And as we referred to in our opening, J.K. Rowling keeps tweeting stuff. And that is depending on who you're talking to in the fan base. Some things are or not certain are canon. There's a lot of people who will say, Cursed Child is not canon, it's uh, fan fiction, even though it's got J.K. Rowling's name on it. So I, that's a, the, more of the debate I've been involved in, less so the Star Wars side, but more, you know, what's, what is counted in the Harry Potter canon? And it's hard to keep up with it. What about um, what about all the stuff on Pottermore? And that is considered, I think, by most people to be canon because it's curated. It's coming from the official Wizarding World of Harry Potter. 
Um, there's actually a, I'm sure there's something written about this online. There's like sort of a, a precedence of what is more or less canon. And so the more recent things from JK Rowling apparently trump other things that she said before because she contradicts herself a lot. Because uh, there's a lot to keep track of consistency wise. Classrooms move around. Um, although I guess I like her in world explanation of, you know, Hogwarts has a mind of its own. If the staircases move, why can't, yeah, why can't the classrooms move? They're always looking for their classrooms in the early books, so it makes sense that they keep moving. So that's the way I've encountered canon before, and it's been fun then to, you know, as I develop my spiritual side after my nerd side to come across learning about the Bible as a canon, and obviously it, it perceiving Harry Potter canon, um, and hearing about how it got developed and what the debates are, and seeing some resonances with my most beloved fan community. When we think about canons are that's within a particular world we can shift now to talking about our personal canons which is which is the kind of the the media that we have curated for ourselves the intellectual properties of various sources that have really spoken to our lives and i know that you had a, a particular way you wanted to enter into this so why don't you tell tell me and, and tell our listener about it constant listener all right so when I was thinking about this, I literally went back through my personal library. I mean, I've moved so many times in the last 20 years that um, I've given away a lot of books. But to start this, kickstarting this process of looking at my personal hands, I looked at like literally what books have made the journey with me and splitting, I sort of split them up in my mind of the epochs of my life that I was reading them. I think I have different reading tastes and different watching tastes as a child versus a teenager versus a young adult and now into my 30s. Um, and it also made me think about how did I access these books and movies? Who showed them to me? At least in my case, I realized a lot of my reading is, and it's mostly reading for me because I'm, a, I'm ultimately a reader. So much of it is influenced by the things that were available to me, my school library, and then my public library growing up. And then also my good, my best and oldest friend, Kara, um, she and I would swap books all throughout our young adulthood um, and into right now she works for a big publisher in New York so I'm constantly getting great new books from her uh, to peruse but so much of what I when I talk about books it's with this one person who's obviously read them and then I don't realize until I talk to other people like oh no one's heard of that series <laughs> um, obviously some other people have read it but I don't I find what seems to me to be a very common book that I reread every couple years or every year or so no one else knows about. And so it was fun to kind of assemble this personal canon and, and think about how did these books come across my desk? Um, how did I first encounter them? I think most of mine, some of mine are books, some of mine are TV, some of mine are movies. So they're kind of all over the place. Um, and I, I thought about it partly from the way that you're looking at it, but also from the things, the kind of the large things I learned from these various sources growing up. Uh, um, and so what is sort of the first thing that you remember as being influential as part of your nerd canon? I remember my parents, I think it was my mom reading The Hobbit to me because as a child, I did not remember, I did not know the word abreast when they talk about the entrance to the mountain being, you can fit two or like two or three abreast. And I had this very specific memory of thinking of Lonely Mountain as being just right around the corner from the Shire because I probably fell asleep as she was reading this book to me, and it, that time flew by, um, there, The Hobbit's Journey. So I think my, my very first memory of like being read to and really loving a fantasy story was The Hobbit, followed, I think, also closely by Narnia, although I don't have as much 
concrete memory around being read to that. But I know my parents would read that to me when I was little. And I really devoured the Wizard of Oz books as well at a pretty young age. I think mine was My Father's Dragon, which I think I mentioned in our Dragons episode. That's right. Uh, And these were books that my own father loved as a child. They were written many, many years ago in the, I think in the forties. And it's just a series of three fairly short books for seven, eight-year-olds, somewhere in there. I probably read them when I was about that age after my mom read them to me a lot. And I just loved them because they were silly and fantastical and really just exploded my imagination. I went through a long Hardy Boys phase Uh, after uh that, uh, Tom Swift, you know, those books for boys, you know? Yeah, Um, yeah. Yeah, they're blue, so they must be for boys. But you do bring up an interesting point because I remember one of the things I have on my list of, I haven't read it, but I want to read it, is Redwall. Because when I was in elementary school, all the boys would have Redwall out of the library and I could never get a hand, my hands on a copy. Mm. Because they were very, at least when I was a child in the 90s, gendered. You know, girls read uh, American Girls and uh, Nancy Drew and whatever else. And then the boys would read Hardy Boys. Dear, I think Dear America was like attempting to get the historical fiction that girls enjoyed in American Girls, but it didn't have the same traction, I don't think. But they read Redwall, and I did not. That's too bad, because Redwall, I never really thought of it as gendered in in that way, because actually, there are a lot of, at least as the further you go into the books, there are a lot more female heroes. Mm. It could have been the particular quirks of my elementary school class, too. Um, uh, yeah. But I, yeah, I loved Redwall. I, that was, mm, let's see, that, that was sixth grade, seventh grade. Mm. I read a bunch of those. And then as they came out, when my mother was managing the bookstore, a lot of those were the books that I was getting in advanced reader copies. And I actually read a couple of them to my twins while they were in utero. Oh, so that's another thing that you probably get to revisit a lot of your childhood memories and, and books and movies you like, because now you have kids that you can choose what you're going to show them and read to them. Yeah. So those early, those early books. So, um, and that was for me, that was before Harry Potter came out. So I think Harry Potter came out when I was in early high school, but they weren't famous. And again, really weren't famous in the United States until book three or four. Um, and I was already a older teenager at that point. Um, so you said that you were like right in the in the perfect age range for Harry Potter, right? Yeah, I think my fifth grade teacher, Mrs. Salemi from Norton School, who then, well, she read us um, the first book chapter by chapter. And I think after that, I read them all when they came out. So I was kind of onboarded from it from the beginning, maybe like a year or two after it had been published in the U.S. Um, And then, so those, obviously, as I've talked about a lot, kind of followed me throughout high school, college, and beyond. And, and really, those are the first books I think I ever read and reread and reread on like a yearly basis. For me, that book was Lord of the Rings. Seventh grade, seventh grade, I started Lord of the Rings. I made it to the chapter of Stew and Fried Rabbits in the Two Towers, which is when Frodo and Sam and Gollum are walking. And What's Tater's Precious? Walking, yeah. Tater's Precious, yeah. yeah. I'll let you do the voice. No, I can't do the voice. <laughs> and Andy Serkis completely stole that voice, and now it's amazing. He's the only one that can do that voice. Yeah, so, so that's the chapter where they just sit and they eat stew. <laughs> and it's so boring. You're like, I don't have and, time for this. And I was just like, and I closed it, and I never, and I didn't finish. So that was seventh grade. Eighth grade, started it again from the beginning. Got mm. to the same chapter. Oh, no. And stopped again. 
And then in ninth grade, I started it again and pushed all the way through to the end. So yes, wow. I read it in seventh and eighth grade, but I just, I just didn't have the attention span yet to make mm-hmm. it through those difficult chapters where Frodo and Sam are just walking. I, I laugh, but that's, that's exactly the way I read Orson Scott Card's Xenocide. I got to the same chapter twice and stopped, and then I finally pushed through and loved it. So I, it is, you know, it's parts of it were earlier in your, in your middle school experience, but then really the fullness of it later. Um, but it's part of that journey of Learn of having a better attention span, really wanting to get through the story and enjoy it. Right, appreciating right. Appreciating different things. And then I read Lord of the Rings every year for about 10 years after that. So I lied about reading Lord of the Rings for a long time. <laughs> I read The Hobbit as a kid, or I had it read to me, but when the movies were coming out, I was in, I think, eighth grade, and my band played like the Lord of the Rings, you know, compilation of the themes or whatever. And I was trying to be all cool. I was like, yeah, I've read these books. Because my people, my, my circle I ran with in eighth grade, you know, eighth grade is pretty cutthroat. I wanted to fit in. So I lied and said I read them and I really hadn't. I you wanted I to fit it. in with the kids who loved Lord of the Rings. Uh, yeah, and they're still yes. my good friends to this day. That's, that's, that's the right group to, <laughs> to be friends with. That is the right group, with. all the band kids who have read it. So <laughs> I, I did read it in high school. So what else, what other books, maybe we wrap up our childhoods, what else was kind of in the background? You talked about, we hit on some of the major notes of our childhood reading and, and watching, but what was kind of like the background stuff, the stuff that you consumed and maybe did mm-hmm. reread every year, but sure, was important yeah. in some way? Yeah, for me, it was Star Wars novels. Mm. I read, my senior year, I read, senior year of high school, I read probably 35 Star Wars novels. Oh and again, this is, this is back in the expanded universe uh-huh. days. The funny thing was that I'm I'm very fastidious when it comes to books, even paperbacks. I don't like breaking spines. I don't like dog earring, anything like that. And so my mom got me a book cover for a paperback, you know, trade paperback or not even trade paperback, a mass market paperback book cover. Yeah. And um and so I used that all my senior year. And at sometime near the end of the senior year, a friend of mine came up to me and said, "You are the slowest reader I have <laughs> ever met." <laughs> I've been reading the same book for months. <laughs> yeah, she thought I was reading the same book. <gasps> oh no! Uh, yeah, so I read a million Star Wars novels, and they're not all great. There's a few good ones. The most of the authors aren't aren't you know anything special. But I just loved the universe, um, and and living in in that uh, living in the galaxy far far away. So that was that was one for me. What about you? Um, I think so. Like keeping it in childhood, I never really played video games but I would watch my brother my older brother play video games because I get scared um I have to have him like hop onto my game boy to defeat that tree that throws apples at you and Kirby because I would get afraid of the music Mm. and actually to this day a boss fight still freaks me out I get really (laughs) intense so I would more watch for the story elements and then I also watched a lot of Disney movies over and over again or Disney what I think of Disney-esque that and I read a lot of Calvin and Hobbes um comics we had all the collections oh, yeah i still have so those all mine. Are just yeah those are just laying around my house when i was a kid and if i had nothing else to do i would read them so those are kind of the background on which mm. i think of you know my childhood reading and watching for me that from, from going away from books mm. uh for me star trek the next generation was oh, yeah. the show of my childhood uh it came out when i was four and we watched it every week until i was 11 it was like a family tradition seven years of Star Trek The Next Generation. So I, I literally grew up watching that show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in a little bit, um, we can talk a little bit more about that. Um, and then when I was in high school, it was Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, and those, those so Star, Star Trek The Next Generation and Buffy were 
probably my two most influential shows. Uh, first in childhood and then Buffy, Star Trek in childhood and, and Buffy in my teenage years. Let's see, from a video game standpoint, I didn't really play. I had an N64 in high mm-hmm. school, which I had to buy with my own money because my parents would not oh, yeah. countenance us having video games in the house. Um, but Ocarina of Time was my favorite game. Uh, I loved that game. I still have it, actually. I still have my N64 and all the games that I've ever oh, owned. I thought sold on um, Ooh, bad idea. Because those things are going to last forever. I know. <laughs> the cartridge, cartridge games. Um, <laughs> Nothing can break on those. They're yeah. steady. And then, but then my video gaming didn't really pick up in, until I got lost in World of Warcraft. Uh, yeah. And then um, just billions of hours of Skyrim um, when I was... Uh, you know, older when I was an adult. I love Skyrim. I know oh. you're playing it right now. Right, right now. Instead of playing it right now, I'm recording this podcast. And go. then when it's done, I'll probably go play some more. <laughs> um, the one thing that I didn't start doing until adulthood, until just three or four years ago, which I can't imagine why I wasn't doing this as, as a kid, was playing Dungeons and Dragons. I know. It was not, it, it, I mean, it's definitely been more popular recently, but I remember it didn't have the appeal for me when I was younger. It seemed to be because it was associated with people I didn't necessarily want to hang out with mm, uh, or mm-hmm. people who didn't want me to hang out with them. It was, it was again, a boys thing, at least in my yeah. high school, the people who played. All right. So I mentioned my friend Kara at the beginning of the show and she and I share a lot of books and we had this awful little bookstore in our town called Buck a Book. Uh, it was a buck for, it was not, maybe it was not actually a buck for a book. It was cheap books. But we found a lot of random books and we would like give them to each other. So she introduced me to Pern and McCaffrey's Dragon Rise of Pern. Um, I introduced her to Anne Bishop's Black Jewels trilogy, which there's so much wrong with those books. And yet I still love them because of the world that's created and the system of magic being so well thought out. Um, she gave me Ella Enchanted whose author I cannot remember, Gail Carson Levine wrote that book. And that's a book I still reread maybe every year. Um, and I think I gave her Stardust by Neil Gaiman. And so we just passed, passed books back and forth, mostly in the fantasy. She was less into sci-fi. And so my interest in that developed elsewhere. I also started to find books that had just beautiful, magical atmosphere I wanted to fall into. So Stardust, rereading that, Ellen Enchanted, uh, much later, I think of a similar essence of those books in uh, Naomi Novik's Uprooted and Spinning Silver are just like these classic fairy tales with a twist. And um, oh, The Night Circus by Aaron Morgenstern are a similar, very evocative fantasy that you just want to escape into the world and live in it and just the descriptions being so beautiful. Uh, so I really started to enjoy those types of novels in like my teenage years. Um, and then maybe towards the end of high school, I got really into dystopian literature. I think the Hunger Games became kind of a thing. Scott Westerfeld's Uglies trilogy, um, and then later Red Rising coming out. Um, so I really enjoyed that ability to look, I guess we're moving into like, what do we learn from that? But the dystopian lets, at least let me as a young person, look at my world through a safer lens than looking at it directly. There was reprisal of a lot of themes I was noticing in learning about the world and the, reading the news, but that was would be too scary to look at on its own. Whereas having dystopian novels, you could kind of take it one step removed and really engage in those difficult questions of sacrifice and pageantry and all these different ideas, but be safe in doing so. So that was really, um, I think, an important time in my reading life. I didn't really watch a lot of television shows aside from Star Trek. Um, (laughs) I don't think a lot of, aside from Harry Potter movies, I wasn't really watching a lot of movies. I think I just rewatched the same 
Disney films with my good friend Kara over and over again. <laughs> we are great. huge nerds and continue to be. You're um you're sparking a memory in my mind that I haven't mm. thought about in a long time, which was there was a man who worked for my mom at her bookstore who would give me reading recommendations because uh, he knew the kind of books I liked, but then he yeah. would try to like expand that a oh, little bit good. for me. So he gave me um, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, which is the book mm -hmm. that Blade Runner is based on. He gave me 1984 and um, Dune. Oh, uh, and Dune, okay. Dune was a book that I, I remember just having it was sort of one of those mind-blowing books like it was just such a weird and interesting place you know again you're talking about that atmospheric Wanted idea the, en there. the environment yeah. of dune was so strange and and so well crafted that that plus tolkien really those those two worlds were ones that I, you could really jump into and i never wanted to read any of the books beyond the first dune book because I know that they they definitely take a take a downturn, and I I wanted the, sort of this pristine memory of the original the original story of Paul Atreides, and um, I've actually I've preached on Dune before. Oh, it's um, incredibly preachable, yeah, I think. Uh, on the on fear is the mind killer. Yeah, so so Dune was Dune was a, an important book for me. I read that a couple of times in high school. I haven't read mm -hmm. it in a long time, and that's a hard one to put to screen. They, sure. they did a movie in the, they did a movie in 1984 which uh sting is in it oh my gosh <laughs> oh yes <laughs> oh no uh, he's not the main character but he's there wow uh, and then there was a mini series in the um must have been in the late 90s early 2000s mm. from the sci-fi channel which was okay but even then you it's just such a strange place that it's hard to conceptualize what's well, that i wonder if um I'm re I'm rereading Tamara Pierce right now because she's been optioned to be, I think, an Amazon series based on her books, which is another book from my high school. And I'm, I'm wondering if in this new age of streaming television, we will see some of those more difficult to capture in a film or in a you know sci-fi series, if we'll see them adapted because they have a lot more ability to, for CGI, for expansive. Sure. They realize uh, that we are hungry for content and people will pay for it. Well, we're seeing, in, uh, we, I don't have HBO, but we're getting His Dark Materials oh, yeah. right now. <clears throat> and those books blew my mind in, in mm -hmm. high school as well. Um, the third one was super weird. Oh, yeah. I have like, no idea what they're going to do when they get to that on this HBO show. Because I, I just remember these creatures that like have wheels for legs, maybe. Oh, the Mufala. Mil you, you got you got me it's been all they're like diamond shaped and yeah it's been like 20 years like since i read this book oh i read so i've i read those pretty recently and i was just thinking more about how to do the whole battle at the end with with god yeah like it, it, god. yeah it gets a little <laughs> bit like we know that this is sort of an adam and eve temptation thing yeah anyway yeah, it, it's, I'm super yeah, curious yeah, it's about weird. that. Yeah, but Somebody I know that the Lord of the Rings, uh, Middle Earth has been optioned to Amazon or mm. Apple or one of them. Um, and so Lin-Manuel Miranda was, is part of his Dark Materials, but he's also doing stuff for the Patrick Rothfuss Kingkiller Chronicles. Are they doing that? Um, I've heard Scuttlebutt. I don't know if, that, if, that's, if that's true, but I'm pretty sure that Patrick Rothfuss and Lin-Manuel Miranda are, are doing something. About, I would be about so the name on of the that. And he just also needs to sit down and write the third book. Please, Pat. Yes, if you're listening. If, you <laughs> if are, you're Pat, listening to the Patrick podcast Rothfuss, for Nerdy Christians. If, if you are our listener. <laughs> our one listener. Please, please finish it. write 
the third book of the King Killer Chronicles and then get the a and get a different editor to edit that then edited the second one and didn't cut out 200 pages that needed to be cut out. I'm hanging out in the woods with Valerian and right. training. We're, we're a little oh. off topic. Sorry. But, so King Killer Chronicles is a more recent, mm. like really capture my imagination. Sure. I think maybe that was a recommendation from you and my friends in New Haven, but I read the first book. I read the first book again. I got the second book, read the second book, reread the first, reread the second, and I think went back to the first for like a fifth time in about a month and a half. I oh my goodness. devoured those books. Yeah. Did you um, so have you read the little short book, The Slow Regard of Silent Things? Yes. That, that is book another was incredible, incredible. World to fall into. Oh, oh that my book goodness. was absolutely amazing. It's just a little chestnut. Slow, yeah. I want to, and I think you, I was reading an interview with him about talking to his editor. I don't know if it's the same one who did the second book, but he was like, do, do I really, are people going to read 10 pages of this woman making candles? And the editor was like, yes, Turns yes, out, they yes, will. yes, they and are. I was, I'm in agreement. I will read Ari making candles, whatever she wants to do. I was one day. of those, I was one of those people. I'm so down for it. Um, all right. So uh, let's see, moving forward into kind of adulthood. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. I, Firefly got me then. I didn't watch Firefly when I was in college because I was just too busy. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's when it was on air. So it was in seminary that I got uh, into Firefly because seminary is not nearly as busy as college. Uh-huh. Um, and let's see. And then let that fast forward a few more years. And that's when the Star Wars canon was reset with Disney's purchase. Mm-hmm. And then I set myself the task of reading the new canon. And... I've read most of them. There's a few that I just couldn't do. They're just too too poorly. Oh, no. They're just too poorly written. I just oh. couldn't make it. I couldn't make it through the first seven or eight pages. So I've read a lot of those. And then more recently, I've gotten into the work of N.K. Jemisin. Yes, she's and on my she, list too. Oh my gosh, she is just amazing. So my, I forgot to mention. Oh no, I guess it was. I guess if I'm counting young adulthood as like college and beyond, um, I got I got really into a song of ice and fire before the show. I just like to put that out there. Um, that was a, a series of books that I went, it was when I was studying abroad and I would go to the bookstore, buy the, buy the, I bought the first book, read it. And then every time I finished one, I would go back to the bookstore to Blackwell's on um, that main street in Oxford, I'm forgetting, but like that big, beautiful bookstore. And I'd buy the newest book that I could find. And then I, they stopped I didn't realize that he hadn't finished the series yet, which is a hilarious joke now when everyone's waiting for Winds of Winter. But at the time, I, I didn't know much about it. It had just been recommended by a couple other nerd friends of mine. So I really devoured those books and then kind of hit a wall. So when The Dance of Dragons came out, I, I could barely make it through that. I still didn't finish reading it until this year. Before. Yeah, so I read the first four of those years ago. When when people compare George R. R. Martin with J.R. Tolkien, I just bristle because sure. they're so they're just not in the same league. What? So I think yeah, it, it helps me realize what I like in books and movies. Um, I guess specifically books, because if you think about the different things we look for in books, we think of you know character development, setting, like the world building, actual writing style, and plot. Mm, I don't really list. care about the writing style or the plot as much as I care about world building and characters. For me, okay, if you have solid characters huh. and a well-crafted, well-thought-out world, I will read the dang thing. But um, I've read some really poorly written fantasy. Yeah, so that, that helps me understand when other people will say, well, I didn't like this one because it was it has poor, you know, it's, it's written bad or it's, it's trite or the plot kind of drags. I love 
those first two categories. So that um, I think George R. R. Martin is good at creating those in compelling characters and a well thought out world, but maybe less so the rest of it. So you like world building and characters. Yes. I think for me, writing is the most important. Mm, that makes sense. Um, I just, it, uh, which is why I love Patrick Rothfuss. Mm-hmm. I love N.K. Jemisin. They just can craft sentences that are just amazing. And I just want to reread sent- certain sentences over and over again because they're just perfect. Um, and they happen to have some, some good characters and stuff. But if, if, the book, if a book has good characters and the writing sucks, then I might push through it. Mm-hmm. But I really want I really want to read good writing. And that's why I've had so much trouble with the Star Wars novels. Because I just love the world, but I just can't get into some of the writing. It also depends for me on where I'm at mentally. Like I want, sometimes I want to want to read good writing. And if I, and I'll read those more like books of literary merit as our high school teachers would have put it. Um, and, and really I can fall into appreciating the, the sentence structure and the way it's constructed. Um, I was an English major, so it's, it's something I studied, but when I'm reading for fun, it seems like I can put all that to the side and do what I call it, like reading potato chips. Like they're maybe not the most <laughs> nourishing, but they're really addicting and you can like make your way through them. Uh, so I'm trying to get, I, I've tried to stop judging myself for reading the, what I, what I do, if it's um, kind of like cult fantasy or, or what, you know, or something more weighty, I try not to judge myself. There's a great there, there's a there's a great uh, thing that that I remember the cast of Critical Role saying at one point, which is um, how so much of the internet is telling people that their fun is wrong. Oh yeah. You know, and just if you just you're don't say your fun is wrong. Yeah. If that's what they like, then that's what they like. It has nothing to do with you, <laughs> right? So if you want to read potato mm-hmm. chip fiction, go for it. For me, that's yeah. The Star Wars novels are kind of junk food in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and depending on how much mental energy you have, when I'm overworked and tired, all I want to do is reread old familiar favorites. I can tell how stressed I am by what I'm reading. Oh, interesting. Uh, right huh. now I'm rereading Tamara Pierce, and there's a reason. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to share a bit about, so my young adulthood, I had some very excellent friends who introduced me into some, into additional things. So I mentioned King Killer Chronicles. Um, my friends in New Haven also this really helped my imagination take off. We watched a lot of the Miyazaki movies, the Studio Ghibli, My Neighbor Totoro, Halloween Castle, which Mm -hmm. I loved the book of as a kid. Um, Kiki, Kiki's Livery Service, Spirit Away, all those movies that just... Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. That's my favorite. Oh, Princess Mononoke. I just, those movies really helped me set my imagination alight. And then I really, I, I enjoyed sharing them with my husband who... I don't think it was being really a big movie person, but he and I would, would made our way through them um, when we were in seminary together. And that was really fun. Um, I also, my brother randomly, despite not being a reader, started introducing me to books. Um, so he introduced me to the wheel of time, which I haven't finished, but I did very much enjoy the first couple books of, and then he also had me read Stephen King's dark tower Septology. So I only thought of Stephen King as being, you know, carry the horror stuff, the blood and guts, but Dark Tower is real, is just this bizarre, intriguing, very almost intuitive modern fantasy that feels like it could be real. Um, the mythology behind it and the world building feels like it actually exists and the blending, and then it gets kind of meta later on, which some people hate and I love. Actually, it's been frustrating to reread it um, with like an eye towards 
Well, it's been frustrating to reread a lot of things with an eye towards how we approach things like race and gender and sexuality. Because like, there's one line in, in it when he's talking about Susanna and he's like, for her first time, for the first time in her life as a woman, she was speechless. And it's like, you could just skip the as a woman part. Like, you don't need to include that because it makes it sound like she's like a mouthy woman and she's very outspoken. But like, did you have to say that? Well, that's what, that's why I'm, I'm worried about rereading Redwall to my kids is because I mm. think there's so much inherent racism in it where some of the where where the species you are matters for whether or not you're going to be a good guy or a bad guy oh yeah and that's just that's problematic we can have a whole maybe yeah, that's we'll, a whole we'll, other we'll, podcast on like talk about you that, know race yeah. race and D as well having like inherent traits and things like that but um so Carrie has read a lot more books than I have. Um, I think I've seen a lot more movies than Carrie has, which means she, she wins. Um, no, there's no but, judgment. <laughs> no, I'm judging you're, myself. Your fun, fun is perfectly <laughs> fun for you, and you remember everything better. What's <laughs> um, because I haven't seen or read as or haven't read as much as you. You've got more in your brain. You've got like more details in your head. Um, so give us a quick lightning round of the other the other stuff that you had on your list there things that as a maybe a 20 something in my 20s that really informed my outlook on the world that really set my imagination on fire uh dante's inferno and uh purgatorio and paradiso i think as just a fantasy really um there's great world building in that and i loved reading that in college um i mentioned a darker shade of magic i think before uh, that's a great trilogy I can't remember the author's name, but again, just spectacular world building, a very well thought out system of magic. I really enjoyed Brandon Sanderson's Mistborn. I think that's a trilogy. I can't remember, but that was a pretty recent read. What the, oh, the last one I want to mention, aside from N.K. Jemison, who you already mentioned, was S.A. Chakraborty. My friend Kara's company publishes her, and she wrote City of Brass and Kingdom of Copper. There's a third book coming out soon, and that's again, that's, um, I've been enjoying trying to read fantasy that's not Western-centric not like fantasy Europe. So this takes place in fantasy Egypt. And I really appreciate just the different atmosphere that she writes and the characters and the, um, and the stakes involved are, are epic and grand. So those are my things of late that I've been enjoying that just make me think, make me want to escape and enjoy being a reader. Very cool. Awesome. Well, you're going to have to give me some, some of those, uh, recommendations uh, excellent (laughs) fantastic so let's circle back to just our top couple that really like are the main pillars of shaping us shaping those nerd canons like so if i think about this these would be like the gospel in the new testament so (laughs) what are what are my couple of texts that would be in my own nerd canon what would be the gospel um and so for me it's lord of the rings star trek the next generation buffy the vampire slayer and star wars those are the four. Mm-hmm. Um, now, only one of those is a book, um, but <laughs> that's okay, right? Your canon can include any media. So what? why are those in your Gospels? Why are those your Gospels? Star Wars is really just the imagination of my childhood. Uh, there's nothing that I could point to from, um, from like, a, what did I learn from Star Wars? I, I, you know, um, if, I, if I'm going to learn some stuff from Star Wars, it's it's about the dark side and how the dark side infects you, you know, anger, fear, hate. Um, but I don't think that whatever was influencing me as a child through that, I don't think I really started unpacking until I started preaching on star Wars, which I have done many times. 
usually Obi-Wan Kenobi quotes because his dialogue is great. Yeah, so yeah, Star Wars is really just the imagination of my childhood. I'm sure there were plenty of things that I learned from it and just don't remember because I watched the movies when I was so young. I think I watched The Return of the Jedi every day when I was six because I just loved it so much. When I think about the other ones on here, they're a little bit more uh, impactful from a what did I, you know, how, just how did I develop as a person? And so the easiest one on this list is Buffy the Vampire Slayer because I really think that Buffy taught me from a young age. I was probably 15 when I started watching Buffy, maybe 14 or 15, that girls are awesome. And that- <laughs> A good lesson to learn you know, at that any they age. Can just, you know, and I didn't, I don't think I ever had, you know, I don't think I ever had the experience of thinking that girls couldn't do things that boys could do. And I, a lot of it had to do with both having an older sister who was, who was awesome and watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer and just having her be one of my first real heroes of what that I would, that I love to watch. Um, and it's also just a great TV show. I've got a whole thing on Star Trek, the next generation, which I should probably save for its own podcast, but I'll say it anyway. <laughs> Go for it. And that's it. Every one of the main characters on Star Trek, because I watched it so much as a kid, it was just, it was the TV show of my childhood. I think I learned a different trait from each one of the main characters. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically, Captain Picard. He was such an amazing leader. Um, and he really taught me what intri- integrity is mm-hmm. um, and leading with integrity. Because I don't think in that entire run, he ever had his integrity questioned. I mean, people questioned it, but they were wrong. He, that, that's like the cornerstone of that character is his integrity. Um, I learned empathy and compassion from Counselor Troy. I learned to work with excellence from Dr. Crusher and Geordi. Oh, yeah. Um, I learned curiosity from Data, honor from Worf, and how to sit in a chair from Commander Riker. <laughs> what about Wesley? What did he teach you? Uh, no comment. <laughs> I love you, Will Wheaton. Our other listener, just kidding. <laughs> yeah, Patrick Rothfuss and Will Wheaton are our listeners. <laughs> what an audience. Awesome. Whoever you are. Yeah, so, and then Lord of the Rings, this one, I've also preached on this before, and I actually get teary when I think about this. I moved around a lot as a kid, and um, so I really had trouble making friends, and I didn't really make good friends until late in high school, which was ironic because I knew I was going to be going to college, you know, soon. Uh, so I knew it was sort of like a forced relocation when all the other ones sort of happened haphazardly. And it was the relationship between Frodo and Sam that really taught me what friendship was. Because uh, I didn't really have real world personal examples at that point. And um, once I read that book and then reread it over and over again, and just their relationship is so amazing that um, I think that's what got me to want like a best friend. And so then when I saw the Return of the King movie, this would have been in what, what it was 2002 maybe. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I was in college. I bawled my eyes out for the last half an hour of that movie. Oh, I started on for quite yeah. a while. Yes. I was, I had, a, <laughs> I got a migraine that day cause I was crying so hard. Oh my goodness. It was like this catharsis of my childhood. Uh, and it started, it, it, there was like a little hint of it when um, they're on the mountainside and Sam says, I, I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you. And there's this beautiful penny whistle 
theme playing in the music. And now whenever I listen to that soundtrack, I always have to stop during that moment and listen to it. And so I, I cried a little bit there, but then I, I kind of caught myself under control. And then when Frodo's sitting in the bed after getting rescued by the Eagles, and all the people come in, come in, they all come in and I'm fine. I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. And then Sam just stands in the doorway and I lost it. And he smiles at they, him. They just smile oh to each other. God. And I cried for the rest of the movie all the way home. My parents are like, <laughs> I, I went because it was over Christmas break. Uh-huh. My parents thought I was like, like I hated it or something because I was crying so much. And yeah. So anyway, Lord of the Rings taught me friend ta- taught me what the value of friendship was. And I'm, that's going to be a, a debt that I could never repay, you know, to a, a single uh, piece of fiction. Did you have a list that that's that short? Okay. So I think mine would be, I had to just pick. This is terrible. I guess my four as of today are Harry Potter, the Dragon Riders of Pern by Anne McCaffrey. I'm saying all the Miyazaki movies. I know that's cheating, but I think they kind of teach them the same thing. So I guess I can count that's them. That's okay. That's okay. And Star Trek. I was influenced both by TNG, but also Voyager. And so since you already talked about TNG, I, I can say Voyager was what I would watch when I came home from maybe middle school. And in that, I learned some of the same same uh, lessons you got out of the next generation, but also like curiosity and just the awkwardness of different groups of people mixing together. That's the whole, the, rewatching the whole first season is funny because just how out of place everyone seems at the, at the beginning. Um, and I just loved how they would see new places and engage with new people with um, some of suspicion, but mostly just curiosity and really loving that Star Trek mission of to seek out new life and new civilization. Um, the Miyazaki movies I included because they show just a kindness in them. I'm thinking of like Kiki's Delivery Service when she's just such a kind person and they contrast that in that movie at least with like these other kind of unruly teenagers she spends half the day helping this old lady make like a fish pie and then she delivers it to the granddaughter and she's like oh granny made me like one of her fish pies and i just remember thinking when i was watching that how i feel like kiki i feel like i'm i want to care for people i want to be in relationship with people and i want to believe in myself and stretch to new new heights and you see that also with you know nausicaa and princess mononoke um and with all the other characters in those films. I just love them so much. Uh, Pern I include because I think it taught me a lot about genres. I, I see, I love Pern because it makes the turn from kind of a fantasy story into a science fiction story. And I love how in the lighter books, the whole world is kind of coming together under one project to save their world. And there's this really beautiful drive and energy and passion and they're all learning and they're, they're striving to learn and they, they put up with, they have to put up with a lot of people who want to hold them back, who think all this new stuff is dangerous and we should go back to our tradition. They have they use the word hidebound a lot and they're really trying to rediscover something that will help save their world. Um, and there's just such a bright variety of characters. My favorite being the master Harper himself, master Robinson, who is this character of extreme grace and courtesy and cleverness. Um, he's kind of like, almost like the fool we mentioned in one of our earlier podcasts, like, you know, poking fun at the power structures there very much as like the court jester, but also so intelligent. And finally, Harry Potter, who we've probably everyone's sick of me talking about, but I just love the 
message of courage and love and self self-giving and dedication and the power of friendship. I think um, I was lucky to have very good close friends growing up. And even as wonderful as they are, Harry's trio still made me a little bit, you know, I wanted to be a part of that trio as well. Um, and the beautiful world building as well. So that's my, as of today, my four gospels of my own nerd canon. There you go. Awesome. And they continue to develop and expand. Yeah, our canons can keep getting bigger. The biblical canon is closed, but our canons can remain open. Yeah. Uh, we hope that this uh, discussion of our nerd canons will help you uh, figure out who yours are, our listener, Patrick Rothfuss. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and that's canon really, now. Yeah, that's canon. He's listening. We, <laughs> He's we, listening. we, we, we figured there. it out. We wanted to do this partly to uh, help folks understand when we're kind of where we're coming from when we start talking about these larger tropes that we've been doing over the course of this season. So if the thing that you love isn't on our lists, we apologize. We just haven't encountered it. So let, let us know us what know. it is. Yeah. yeah. Understanding how we're formed by what we read, what we watch, what we take in uh, also helps us in our daily lives now to figure out and distill down what the messages are from things that we that we take in good messages and bad messages and trying to trend toward those good messages. Carrie, why don't you tell us a little bit about what's going to happen when next we have an episode of this podcast. Uh, we're going to take a, a quick, a little bit of a break over Christmas of 2019. So we won't be covering a trope that covers, that is shows up in many different properties, but we'll be focusing on one book or movie or game or whatever at a time. And what about Harry Potter? What are we doing next? When we next pick up our book club, we'll be starting Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, moving our way through chapters one through three. Look forward to seeing you there. You can't see people on the podcast, but we'll stay with it. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast for Nerdy Christians. You can find us at nerdychristians.com or on social media, facebook.com slash nerdychristians and on Twitter at nerdychristians. You can find me on Twitter at Rev Adam Thomas or on my website, wherethewind.com. My new novel, The Islands of Shattered Glass, should be out any day as this episode drops. You can always find both Carrie and me right here on the next episode and the first episode of season two of the podcast for nerdy christians we are each made in the image of god which gives us the ability to imagine to remember that whenever you imagine you are dreaming the dream of god and the blessing of god almighty the father the son and the holy spirit be among you and remain with you now and always amen